For our scripture reading today, uh, I'd like to read from two passages. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10, and then 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. So first of all, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then also 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. First of all, I'd like to thank Ed and Carol for their service. Um, and also uh, just to acknowledge that it's really, really difficult to get up and preach after that. I feel like that had plenty of a message for us today. And I think that it, it does fit with our theme. Let's just start by asking a couple questions. How many people here have at either in part of your house or whether it's a new house or a remodeling project, you have some sort of a rebuilding project going at your house currently? Could you just raise your hands? How many people have some kind of a project going? Wow, there's a number. How many people understand that our call to be a people of faith um, means that we're constantly under construction? How many people here are under construction? Yeah, we all are. Um, there are many, many shows that have become popular recently, and I, I don't know enough details. I don't even know names but simply to say that one of those that's been most successful for the last 10 years is a show about flipping houses, meaning you fix it up and then resell it. And I think it's a little more than ironic that it was a, a married couple who is now 
separated, maybe on their way to divorce, I'm not sure. But I was just reading about the fact that they're going to discontinue the show because for all of their expertise in being able to reconstruct houses, they were failing at an inner reconstruction of themselves. Now, last week we talked about uh, the renewal of hope and that God is faithful in keeping his promises, which gives us hope. Today we focus on what we thought is the rebuilding of the temple. That's not the real message for us today. Uh, the, the, the real message for us today is not just the rebuilding of a structure. And if you go back, for example, to read Ezra 1 and 2, Ezra 1 has an accounting of all of the great gifts of gold and all of the, the, the articles that were extremely valuable, that were donated, uh, gifted to, to be housed in the new temple that they would rebuild in Jerusalem. And the gathering of that, it's quite a detailed listing and quite valuable. And then chapter 2 of Ezra uh, goes into all of the people that would be going and returning from Babylon out of exile and back to their homeland and back to Jerusalem and would be involved in rebuilding the temple and reestablishing uh, the, the children of Israel there and as a people of God. And uh, so there is this, this reference to rebuilding. And in fact, the book of Ezra is a book um, that um, is very connected to Nehemiah. And there's, I won't go into it. There's a lot of debate about the timing of Ezra and Nehemiah. You may not know this, but actually for many years, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. And were written as one document. And they became separated sometime. We don't know the exact dating because we're not sure about the which kings. But there was certainly right in the same proximity. Because Nehemiah was focused more on the building, rebuilding of the actual temple itself. And for Ezra, uh, he was to... Uh, come and to tell the story of the first ex return of exiles and really the, um, the, the three main purposes of Ezra were to describe and to, and to show his role in rebuilding the temple, yes, but the second part of Ezra's focus more than, than Nehemiah was renewing the people of the Jewish community according to their faith. That had more to do with an internal review, an internal renewal, calling people back to be a people of God. And so he was reinstituting an understanding of the Torah, which is the first five books of the, the Old Testament. He, his job was to call people back to the law of God. That has to do with an internal commitment to the Lord. So we see that throughout all of this, whether it's the structure or it's the personal relationship, 
that there is a call for renewal, a call for being under construction, a call for change. I didn't mention, but the third part uh, of the uh, uh, of Ezra's call was to seal the holy city itself behind a wall, which, as you know, Jerusalem has a significant and massive wall around the entire city uh, of the old city of Jerusalem. Well, Paul was revisiting this theme. And we can see in this passage from 1 Peter that Peter was clearly echoing some of, uh, of the same teaching in what he was leading the churches in. And it was this idea that God doesn't call us so much to the structure. That's, that was the symbol of the relationship for the children of Israel and the Jewish community. But there was a change. So it started, and you can just trace this throughout the story of Old Testament and New Testament. God wants to be with his people. God accompanies his people through the wilderness. God is present with his people. God goes before his people is another image. God is beside. God protects. God shields. God guides his people. But with the coming of Jesus, you have a change of language that we can't miss. God doesn't just want to be, hey, I'm hanging around. I'm your buddy. He doesn't want to just be, I'm your, the Lord, your God. I'm over here to the side. But in the call of Christ and in the call of these scriptures, and we'll, we'll look at some of the scriptures, probably won't have time to go through all of them today, but there are many scriptures in the New Testament that talk about a new change. And, and you know, many people in, in churches have become shy about proclaiming anything that has to do with the Holy Spirit or or getting too wild or charismatic. And, and granted, there are some people that have unfortunately caught all the headlines and made great, um, unfortunately, become very popular stories about the abuses and the, ex the, the eccentricities of, of taking things a bit far. But you can't, can't miss this. Jesus talks about a change, not just being with us, but being in us. In other words, the passages, both passages that Doug read, talk about the fact that we become the temple of God. That the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Jesus taught it. He reinforced it with his disciples over and over again. He doesn't want a building. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want us just to worship, wow, we, oh, hey, look, we got blinds. And Cheryl, my wedding, when we came in here, it was at 3.30 in the afternoon. It was so bright of a sun that came in and it shined on, on Cheryl's dress. There is one picture from the balcony that looks like E.T. just emerged in her, in between us there. And, and at one point in the middle of the wedding, all of a sudden, she does this, 
this flinch like she was going to fall asleep or collapse. And I look over and I said, are you okay? We got shades. Now let's worship the shades because they're awesome. They block the sun. No more of that stuff happening. Oh, hey, there's new carpet or there's new this or there's a new roof. Worship it. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. The whole purpose of coming to church is to see how comfortable the benches are. You know, you see how ridiculous we become because we get caught up in the things that are not of God and the things that won't ever fulfill. You know, th this is what strikes me about this video. Is there, is there anything that comes to mind for any of you? The one thing that was consistent pretty much all the way through that video of the different individuals that were using the cart or being carried? The smiles, the joy. I don't know what that does to you. But I'll tell you this. We have just seen the kingdom of God. We have just seen what is more important than any structure ever could bring to us. We have just seen the power of God at work in people's lives. We are all under construction. First, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. John 14.17, Even the spirit of the truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's Jesus speaking. That's a different kind of worship. Not just the rebuilding of the temple structure, a rebuilding of ourselves, a change of who we are. In Romans 8, 9, it says, you however, Paul says, you, are, you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And there are just so many others um, in, in terms of in 2 Corinthians 6. Let's go to one more. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God wants a relationship that is so much more than just simply a structure or something that's superficial. The most powerful moment, I think, uh, of the symbolism and the reality of what Jesus was accomplishing was when he, he took his last breath and he died on that cross. And the earthquake happened and there was a major sound. 
And there was a, an incredible tearing of the veil, the curtain that separated people from the Holy of Holies. That curtain ripped from top to bottom, it says. It was ripped apart. It means that the dividing wall of sin, the barrier of sin, was now torn because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That enables us to restore and to heal and to rebuild. And so when we understand that, that Jesus died for our sins and that this veil was taken away, it's our understanding that we now are able to house and receive the Holy Spirit. God, separated from us through sin, is now not only with us, but in us. And so, as the other passage, 1 Corinthians 3.16 said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And so, it does cause us to take more seriously this question of what we put in and what we clothe ourselves with, but what we take in in terms of media, in terms of, of hearing things. I, I will just tell you this. I am so, so deeply distraught, increasingly distraught by the stories of evil things being done, people being bullied, people being beat up and even killed while others are standing there just watching or filming it. I, I just, it, it, it is, you want to talk about the absence of God, the heartlessness of being able to simply say and say, no longer, I'm sorry, but if somebody is going to tell if somebody is going to tell a racist joke, if somebody is going to tell some kind of, and, and you better, you better, if there's anything that comes out of, of my mouth, you better confront me and, and call me on it right away. But I won't stand silent anymore. It's not okay. It's not okay to knock down someone that Christ died for. And we've got to stand up for each other and with each other and make that clear that we are the temple of God. And therefore, in our relationships of all kinds, we are called to step in the gap in the same way that the loving care of of simply a cart was an opportunity for a bridge of love where Christ may be offered. In the same way that that love transcends continents and cultures and races and transcends it all to care for people in need, so we are called as a people of God. So, very quickly... I'm going to just share with you, this is simply a reminder, um, as I said, uh, thanks Ed and Carol, you changed my sermon, 
I love it. It was powerful. I, I will just, um, uh, that really impacted me. But you know this, we talked about it last week as well. We are called, first of all, to build on the right foundation, which means that, that we are called, if we want to do anything in terms of, of being effective as believers or as a temple for the Lord, choose the right foundation to build on. Uh, I've told you, I may have I've shared this before, but I, um, we have a relative that built a house and somebody didn't maybe do their homework because it was built on an old uh, strip mining property. And, and it was one of those when you drove by, you could see the house go like this and then the other half of the house went down like this. And uh, it, it didn't look right and I'm sure, uh, yeah, you probably could have rolled something around down down that that slanted know what you're building on and build on the right foundation uh, secondly build on a foundation with care in first corinthians 3 10 to 17 it says in verse the end of verse 10 but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid in Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, their work will be shown for what it is. It'll collapse. It will fail. Build with care with the right materials. Build with the materials that are eternal, not with the materials that will pass away. We'll talk more about that in a second as I close. Build on the right foundation. Build on a foundation with care. Build your house for the Lord our King. Um, Jesus said in John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Yeah. Keep my word. That's the key. That's what we're building on. We're building a house. So I don't know how you've decided to structure your house. I, I don't know what rooms you want to put where. Uh, I, probably every, most of us at one point or another said, you know what? I kind of wish I had put this light switch over there. Or I wish I had to put in another light switch here. Uh, or, you know, maybe I'd have shifted this around more and done this. Um, but, but the question is, what does it mean to build a structure that a king is going to reside in? That our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ is going to reside in? What does that house look like? And are we ready to have it inhabited by our Lord? Build your house for worship. Build your house for hospitality. In other words, we want to be able to invite people over for meals, for overnight, for family gatherings, holidays, celebrations. Build your house to be able to welcome people in and build a sense of community together. And build your house for Jesus' mission. In other words, it should be designed to accomplish the purpose for which Christ redeemed us. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. 
you are God's field, God's building. In other words, we're built and inhabited for the purpose of accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, remodel yourself, your heart, mind, soul, for the cause of Christ. By That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will. Billy Graham tells the story about a little child that was playing with a very valuable vase, or vase, if you will. He put his hand into it, and he could not get it out. And they tried and tried. He tried pulling it out. His father tried to, you know, was there with him, trying to comfort him. He tried his best to get it out, could not get the, his hand out of the jar. And they were thinking of breaking the, the vase uh, when the father said, Now, my son, uh, make one more try. Open your hand and hold your fingers straight out as you can see me doing. And he showed him. And then pull. And then to his astonishment, his son said, Oh, no, Dad. I couldn't put my fingers out like that because if I did, I would drop the dime. You know, we hold on to the dimes and we miss the point. We hold on to the things that are not really that big of things. We hold on to the things that don't bring us peace, that don't bring us joy, that don't bring us love. And then I look and I see these brothers and sisters ministering love through a smile and rejoicing in the good things in their life. And I want to say, wow, they've taught us this morning to let go of the dimes and to be freed to use our hands and our lives to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May the Lord prepare us truly to be his sanctuary. Amen.